0: When I was in college, I, I've done a lot of different kinds of jobs, as you've learned over the last 14 years, to survive when I was going through school. Um, one of the things I did was I sold uh, boats. I sold uh, deep sea boats out of L.A. Uh, my roommate's dad owned the largest boat dealership in Los Angeles. Uh, so when I was a junior, uh, they asked me one summer, what are you doing this summer? I'm like, I don't have a job. And they're like, would you like to sell boats? I'm like I had never driven a boat. I don't know anything about a boat. And so they said, hey, we'll hire you as a sales rep. Uh, we'll teach you about all of our boat products. Here's all these books, memorize all this information, all the specs on the boats and everything. Uh, and then you can start selling boats. So I was selling boats for the ocean and big lake boats, uh, having never driven one. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and so I, I had a lot of fun that, that summer and that began uh, m- me adding another job to my repertoire of selling boats. Uh, it, it was a great opportunity. Um, a lot of things happened at that dealership. It was called Marsh Marine, uh, and uh, it was in the city of El Monte. Uh, and I went to school at Azusa Pacific, so it wasn't too far of a drive to get there. Um, one of the interesting things that happened one day is uh, one of the— uh, uh, we, we had little chairs that we set in as salespeople, and so when someone would come into the showroom uh, to see the big boats that we had on display, uh, we had what was called your up. So if it was your up, uh, the next guy to walk in— was your client. So it was my turn. And then this business type man came in and um, I began to talk to him and he was looking for a new boat. And so I was showing him our, our cobalts and our glasstrons and everything that we had. Uh, and so I eventually uh, moved him toward a glasstron boat uh, that he wanted. And uh, so um, began to work out the price, uh, what he wanted, the trailer, et cetera, what it was going to cost him. And as I was working out the details with him, uh, he looked at me and he said, Hey, uh, you want to make a deal? I'm like, hey, I'm a boat salesman. That's what we do. I mean, and I'm like, we're going to deal. And he said, well, I own an, an alarm company. Uh, and he said, uh, I, I, will, I see that you don't have an alarm system at this facility as we've been walking around. So he said, how about if I, I, I install an alarm system in your facility, uh, and if you'll take that off the cost of the boat? What would you do? You know, I went to the boss, Mr. Fletcher, who was uh, uh, my roommate's dad, and said, hey, Mr. Fletcher, uh, that guy out there wants to... You know give you an alarm system for the for your building. This is awesome protect all your product and everything um, And he wants to shave that price off the boat. I mean, what do you say? He goes sounds good to me So work out the deal. So so I did uh, So I cut the deal signed the con the guy signed the contract and everything and uh, he came in the next day and installed the alarm system uh, And back then it was cutting edge because it was sound sensing Now today that's just you know glass breakage and all because it's just normal back then this is like 1976 barely had electricity in a building, you know? So, um, and so we're like, whoa, this is totally awesome. It's sound sensing. He's like, yeah, you know, anybody that you know breaks in, uh, this is gonna pick them up, it's gonna trigger the alarm, et cetera. So, uh, because we had a lot of problem with people climbing in the several acre uh, lot in the back and and vandalizing boats and things. Uh, And so they said this is cool. So uh, so he he came in and he installed it and then he drove away with his brand new boat that he got for like half price. straight away i don't know if it was the next day uh it's been a long time ago but I, the next day or the day after uh we uh, came to uh, came to work one day and uh none of none of us could, this has something to do with my sermon in case you're wondering so none of none of us could get in the building uh we didn't have our keys i forgot mine everybody forgot theirs even the mechanics showed up and so uh we able to able to uh you know get through the gate and get into the back of the the building where we had these huge roll top doors uh, big steel doors. And so one of the mechanics said, You know, I can totally break into this facility. I was like, Hey, cool. And like, uh, Yeah, I've done it a bunch of times. I can i can totally get through one of those row top doors and, and no problem. And so he began to try to break into the building. And remember what kind of alarm system was it? Sound sensing. It was like an entire army was coming through that door. No alarm. Like, this is unbelievable. And then he got the door up a little bit. Then it got, kind of got stuck. So then he got a wrench. And he began to hit the door to like loosen the thing that was blocking the rollers from going. He's banging on the door. No alarm. What kind of alarm system was it? Sound sensing. We rolled the door up, went inside, and it's like, wow, there's no alarm going off. This is unbelievable. It wasn't a silent alarm either. It was supposed to, it had a big horn. It was supposed to be going off. Uh, and so uh, we, we uh, called the alarm guy. Do you think he ever answered that phone call? How many think he actually answered that phone call? He never answered that phone call. He never returned a call. We never saw him again. And we eventually took the alarm system uh, and threw it away because we had been ripped off. You ever been ripped off? Nobody? Yeah. Isn't it the pits? I think that's a Greek word, word, pits. Yeah. It's terrible. And so we got ripped off and we were just like, can't believe he drove off with a new boat For half the price and we get this cheesy alarm system it it was unbelievable so from our perspective this guy was a con man and he was smooth i mean he was very convincing had the product and everything but uh, he totally ripped us off when you think about what he did it's a lot by way of metaphor of what john's talking about can happen in church because the devil sends con people to churches and their goal is to interrupt and disturb said churches and they come in sounding fantastic they sound like you, they talk like you, they look reputable, they're articulate, etc. And then after they stay a while, you start realizing, hey, this person's got some like theological leakage. In fact, you know, I thought they were kind of a little bit strange doctrinally at first, but, you know, I could them, gave them the benefit of the doubt. And then now they totally veering way off course. Because as I've told you, they'll never come into a church and announce that they're a spiritual con person, right? Hi, I'm Larry. I'm a con person. I'm a false teacher. They don't, they don't do this. And so just like that guy came in, he didn't come in and go, hey, I'm going to con you guys, uh, you know, a boat. No, no, he totally deceived us. And so John's dealing with uh, people, uh, con artists, uh, false teachers that have infiltrated the the seven churches in Asia Minor. uh, And he has uh, taken them to task because they're destroying the churches with false theology, much like today. Uh, No thing, anything has changed. I mean, the, the devil still has his topics. He he tries to take the cultural topics, bring them into the church, and whip everybody into a frenzy so everybody's mad and fighting with each other. And then churches split, and they're diminished. Because if people go to a church, and they're all fighting, I can tell you what the lost person's going to say, because I've heard him say it before. Why would I want to go to church there? That's what happens at my office. And and they don't want to go to a place where there's no peace and unity. So the devil was at work in these churches, so John took them to task. They were called Gnostics. Uh, They didn't believe that, uh, you know, in the true deity of Jesus Christ. They didn't believe in uh, salvation as we know it. Um, They believed uh, that the the body was, you could do with your body whatever you wanted to, because what mattered was the interior interior spiritual person. So they were into any kind of sexual promiscuity you wanted. I mean, they were evil people, but they came in under, no, we're the knowledgeable ones, because gnosis means knowledge in Greek esoteric secret knowledge. So if you know what we know, you're on the in crowd spiritually, and if you do what we say, you're going to see God destroy the churches. And so what we've been looking at in chapter 2 for, I think this is the third week now because it's an important topic, uh, is how should saints or Christians deal with destructive doctrinal uh, deceptions that come from people, that actually come into churches with divisive issues uh, with the goal of uh, of undercutting said church. So we want to review because it's been a week. You may have forgotten what we talked about last week. Uh, and so we've looked at uh, three responses so far from the text. What should you do? Number one, consider the times. Remember, this is where he said, we know the Antichrist is coming, but before his arrival, there's a whole bunch of antichrist in the world. And people that reject Christ, re- reject sound thinking, uh, they're already in on the planet. If they were on the planet back then, where are we today? Uh, you should not be shocked at the evil that which you see. Uh, number two, consider the teachers. And it's in scare quotes because not everybody who infiltrates a church like this uh, is a true teacher of the word of God, so the point being, always evaluate what you hear, always. Um, Number three, consider the truth. Uh, The truth of the word of God, you should know it well, you should measure it against all that which you hear, because the truth of God never changes. Belief changes, like when they used to believe that the the earth was flat and would draw dragons at the end of mats, like if you go past this point, the rock of Gibraltar and head out into the open ocean, you just fall off. Uh, that was a belief system, but it wasn't true because truth said, no, the earth is a sphere and it's not flat. And they eventually found out you could sail beyond that. So truth never changes. So represent truth. Today we're gonna add point four uh, uh, to our text. Point four, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. Consider the tension that you live in. You live in a state of tension. Do you feel it? I do. There's what kind of tension are we talking about? Well, from these verses, we're gonna learn uh that there's a tension between being mindful to constantly study the Word of God and sound doctrine, that you constantly study this. And then also, as you're studying the Word of God, so you're into truth, so you can spot falsity when you see it, then the tension is to also realize the devil is always at work to shipwreck wreck your faith. He, always, he, he wants to waylay you in some way, uh, shape, or form. So there's this constant tension, studying truth, that's the truth, and this is falsity, and these people are false teachers trying to subvert the truth, there's this tension. And there's that tension until you die. Now, with all that in mind, that was the introduction. Let's actually look at the text. Verse 24, what does he say? As for you, speaking to Christians, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Notice, there's a conditional clause. If what you heard from the beginning, as a Christian, uh, abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is interesting. So he's vacillating back and forth in this uh, section uh, between talking uh, to uh, uh, believers and talking to uh, false teachers. Uh, here he's going to switch back, and he's going to talk to the Christians in, the, in these seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, and it's very interesting what he says here. And, and you can't see it in the English text uh, because it starts with the word as. But the Greek text starts with the word you. Uh, and if you study a foreign language, one of the things that probably should blow your mind as you study them, they constantly jumble the language around, right? They move things around in the sentence. And so what you find here in the Greek text is you is first. So, if your parents are ever talking to you and wanting to get your attention, and they look at you and they go, You need to listen up. I mean, they're trying to get your attention. This is John. John, 90 something year old pastor, looks at the churches in this area and he says, You need to really listen to what I'm going to tell you. What does he tell them? Well, he says to the believers, You need to let that abide in you, what you heard from the beginning. Um, Well, what is he talking about? Well, He's telling them that, that that sound doctrine that you held to when you got saved and that you studied, don't abandon that. Hang on to that, because they're trying to get you to abandon, abandon sound doctrine for their progressive doctrine. He says, don't, don't do that. And he tells you back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, how they went about um, abiding in that sound doctrine and being successful. So how do you withstand those who teach false things uh, in the culture or inside the church. Notice what he says back in chapter two. He says, I have written to you fathers, uh, because you know him who has been from the beginning, speaking of Christ. Uh, I've written to you young men, uh, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, uh, and you have overcome the evil one. So when he looks at this church and tells them how well they are doing, he says, to "Them, you have victory over those who tried to deceive you based upon the fact that you're in the word of God. So I get paid to teach this book, which is really a cool job. I love my job. But since, since I'm doing that as a job, I still need to read this book, right? And so I read it. So I get up in the morning, 5, 530, and I read. And I, I'm not reading like for my sermon. I'm reading for me because I have to hear from God. It's one thing to study the scriptures, go through your regimen to present a, a sermon. It's another thing to hear from God. Whole other thing. And so it's reading that word, to understand that word, how many times, I mean, I'm reading through Hebrews right now. How many times have I read Hebrews? Many. I wrote a 600-page commentary uh, on Hebrews back in the 90s when I was in my 30s. Uh, I, I know Hebrews well, but I'm reading it in the morning. Why? I've got to get that truth into me, right? And so it's, it's, uh, it's staying the course. And so he says, you handle false teaching by staying in the word of God, which means if you don't stay in the word of God, what can happen to you? You drift. You drift. Uh, when I was in California, I d- deep sea fished a lot with friends, uh, and we would go, because of El Nino, all the water, the good water went out deeper, so we had to fish deeper. So we'd go several hours off the coast. Um, uh, the, we fished a minimum of 500 feet deep. That was interesting. You could never tell when you had a fish. It was so deep. You could catch a Navy sub, but it was 500 feet deep. Um, and, but the, the captain would always say, as the fog began to clear, okay, gentlemen, the fish finder says there's a whole bunch of fish down here, drop your lines, everybody drop your lines. Uh, but to stay on that point wherever we were fishing, he had to constantly move the boat around because you're moving in the ocean. That's kind of the way it is with truth. You know, you got to work at staying with the truth because the devil's constantly sending non-truths your way. And so stay in the word of God. So these people had been taught the word of God, so they knew the evidence of the deity of Christ. Uh, They knew that that he was the God-man who had to come pay the penalty for our sin. They knew Christ was the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. They knew that sin is real and that man needs a savior uh they knew christ bodily resurrected from the grave apart from what the Gnostics said they knew all of these truths and he tells them let that abide in you which you knew from the very beginning and it's very interesting because holding sound doctrine is not a given how do i know that because there's a conditional sentence in verse 24 is there not there's an if and there's a then so the if part of the clause uh is called the protasis. the then part is called the apodosis. Sounds similar, if and then. So if you do this, then this, this happens. Well, we know that holding to sound doctrine uh, is not a given because of the conditional nature of the clause. You follow me? Are you still with me? It's conditional because you have a free will to say, I'm not abiding by that today. No, I'm, uh, uh, no, I don't, I'm not doing that, because you have a free will. So John says if and then. Now, now it's not so in English, but it is in, in Greek. So in Greek, there's four kinds of if clauses. English, we just have one. They have four. This is why you study Greek. So they have four different kinds of if clauses. This kind of if clause is called a third-class condition. What's that mean? Well, if it's a third-class condition, it means he's not real certain this is gonna happen. That's why he's giving them a command uh, in this text to let this remain in you as a command in the Greek text. It's not a suggestion. Because he knows he must command you to abide in Jesus and sound doctrine because you have the probability of drifting from truth by definition. Now, this is interesting, because at leads to a theological, well, kind of a conundrum. Uh, think of the ne- negative implication. If I choose not to remain in sound doctrine, does that mean, because he says here, uh, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and the Father. That sounds like I lose my salvation, doesn't it? If I don't abide enough in God's truth, then it sounds like I don't have Jesus, and I don't have the Father, then I, I guess I'm lost. So can you lose your salvation? No, no. So we're, we're going we're gonna to lay that to rest here for a few seconds. Are you with me? I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you can't lose your salvation. Because it sounds like you could lose it here. If I don't abide enough, I can lose. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your intimacy with Jesus. Like if you have a child and they disobey you and do what you don't want them to do, which, which can happen occasionally, <laughs> like a lot. Uh, like if your daughter goes off the rails, if she could come to you all day long and say, Dad, you know, I'm totally not your daughter anymore. Is that true? No. No, because she's still your daughter. She's just non active. So it might destroy the intimacy, but she's still your daughter. So keep that in mind. So 10 reasons why you're saved. And I'll put all this online tomorrow, so relax. Don't try to take them all down. All right? Because I talk very slow. All right? So why can't you lose your salvation? Number one, the gospel, apart from your faith statement, is devoid of conditionality. Trust Trust in the Lord. Believe in him and you shall be saved. Not, and you need to do all these other things perpetually to be saved. So it's not conditional. Uh, number two, the son of a God intercedes on your behalf. We've already studied that earlier in the chapter. If Jesus intercedes when you sin, how could you lose your salvation? Answer, you could not. Uh, point three, uh, in Romans chapter eight, we are told that God adopts us into his family. If you study Roman adoption systems back in the day, which I have, uh, you will realize that once you were adopted by a Roman family, you could never be unadopted. I wonder why Paul chose that as a, as a metaphor. Because once you're in God's family, adopted as a son or a daughter, he never looks at you and said, man, I made a mistake on her. She's out, etc. And, and is the devil telling you as a Christian, because you're sinning, see, whispering in your ear, you're not saved. You lost whatever you had. That, that, that's from him. Uh, point number uh, four, God's spirit never unseals a saint. Never. Uh, because in, I had to write an exegetical paper when I was in, uh, uh, taking Greek in grad school uh, on Ephesians 4:25 to 30. Uh, it's a very interesting passage because in, starting in verse 25 gives a whole bunch of imperatives: Don't do this. Stop lying to one another. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. All this stuff. But he tells you in verse 30: Stop doing all these sins as a Christian because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. He can't leave. So how do you know you can't lose your salvation? You have the Spirit of God. He's not going anywhere. The question is: Is He happy with you, or are you causing Him to weep over your life? Uh, number six, uh, number five. Uh, God's unfathomable and unconditional love for His saints uh, never fails, according to Romans five eight to ten. God's love for you never fails, just like a parent can have a wayward child, but the love for that child never fails. Like when my little sister became a drug addict, and my dad's a federal agent. This is kind of a problem. And she did that for like, I don't know, eight or nine years. They, they confronted her in her sin. She wouldn't give it up. But, but did you think my mom and dad failed to love her? No, they still loved her. Just like God's love is always unconditional. Six, if you can lose your salvation, then the doctrine of election is devoid of meaning, right? No, he chose you. You're his. Uh, six, and don't get stuck on the doctrine of election. And uh, now I'm really, whoa, okay? Is election in the Bible? Yes, is predestined in the Bible. Yes, we're moving on. Um, number seven, if I can lose my salvation, then the apostle Paul was grossly misdirected when he talks to the carnal Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, because he tells them they need to get their act together because one day they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for their Christian walk. If they're carnal Christians, why didn't he just tell them, you guys need to get saved? Because in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he extols their high position in Christ And then in chapter three, he tells them, you're carnal Christians. If they were lost, he should have just told them, no, you need to get saved again. He calls them carnal Christians. Why? Because they're still Christians. Um, Eight, if my salvation isn't secure, then I must call into question the Lord's words when he said, in uh, the book of John, chapter 10, 28 to 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And then here's the key. No one shall snatch them out of my hand Do you think God has a good grip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I love grip. Gripping was all about wrestling in high school, playing baseball, bat speed, the whole thing. I still work on grips because I have those professional grips that I use. I think the one I'm using now is 400 PSI that I'm working on. I mean, because it's good to grab sheep and just kind of hold on to them, right? And just, hey, don't do that. But do you think God has a really good grip? Uh, Yeah. So if you think you can lose your salvation, you're telling God, you can't hold on to me. He's looking at you going, oh no, I got you. I got you. Uh, moving on. Uh, nine, uh, Paul, by way of inspiration, tells us this in Philippians 1, six: For I am confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what this is? If you think you can lose your salvation, you're challenging God saying, you can't perfect this one. No, God says, no, I'm not. Uh, you will be fine when, I, when you see me face to face. And number 10, if you can lose your salvation, then it calls into question the power of God's precious blood to atone for your sin. So can you lose your salvation? No. So then it leads to another question. What in the world is John talking about in verse 24? He's talking about your relationship with Jesus. Is it intimate or is it a broken intimacy based on sin? See, if you buy into sound doctrine then, and you abide by it and you live it, then you're close with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But if you choose unsound doctrine and embrace that, and you begin to drift, then you begin by definition to lose your intimacy with Jesus. So where are you? Rich relationship with Jesus because you're obedient? Or is your intimacy with Jesus, well, challenged because of what you're doing, what you're believing? So is it possible for a Christian to buy into false teaching? Uh, My answer is gonna be yes. And I know that because I see it in the New Testament. Jesus speaking to the church in Thyatira as their high priest. Thyatira was one of the seven churches that John was a pastor over. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, notice what he says. Jesus speaking as the high priest of the church. He says, I have this against you as a church that you in Thyatira tolerate the woman Jezebel, not, not the real Jezebel. I mean, she's long since dead, but it's a Jezebel type, type, type woman who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches, notice she's a teacher in the church, and she leads my bondservants, code word for Christians, leads them where, astray. So that they commit acts of immorality, it's the word for sexual sins, and they eat things sacrificed to idols. So is it possible for a Christian to drift? Yes, how do I know that? Jesus says it. He says to this church, "I I have a problem with your church. You have allowed a lady into your church who's claiming to be a prophetess. And she's supposedly speaking for me, but she's not really speaking for me. Uh, and you've allowed her to teach, and she's leading a lot of people away with her false teaching, and she's causing you to compromise the faith and involve yourself into sexual sin. Here's how the Roman culture worked at that day and time: uh, If you wanted to part of, have a job, be part of a trade guild, uh, you you could you had to play their game. You had to if you went to a, like a staff party, you had to uh, 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 worship the, the pagan Roman gods and uh, pay sacrificial uh, donations and also partake of, of the food donated to said gods. And you also had to be able to enjoy temple Roman prostitutes. Sexual sin, wedded to religion. Where'd that come from? Well, this Jezebel kind of woman. She was getting the people to do that. And you can you imagine she said, well, I'm a prophet. This, I've run these kind of people before. They are very difficult to deal with because they will say to you, as they've said to me, the Lord has told me that you as the pastor should do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, it's kind of interesting. He never told me that. And he never told the elder board that. It's kind of interesting that what you're wanting me to do is contrary to the word of God. Yeah, I mean, I've run into these people. This was her Jezebel type of person. You can just hear her saying, well, the Lord has told me that it's okay for you to keep your job with the trade guild. Just enjoy the temple prostitutes. That's okay. justifies the means. Uh, and eat meat, sacrifice idols, and you stay employed to care for your family. God would certainly want that from you. Huh? Jesus says, uh, she's leading you astray. So there goes the intimacy with Jesus. So I have to stop and ask you a question. Number one, what had they lost? These saints in Thyatira, they had lost intimacy with Jesus. They hadn't lost their salvation. How do I know that? Jesus calls them my bondservants. But they lost the intimacy. So think about yourself. Uh, Who's the Jezebel in your life? Who's telling you, oh, the Lord has told me. And she's telling you things that don't square with the word of God. And she's getting you to think things that are contrary to the word of God. And she's getting you to get into actions that are contrary to the word of God and sound morality. Who's your Jezebel? Our culture is full of them. Full of them. And Jesus says, uh, you need to move away from those people and be committed to sound doctrine. Uh, What do they typically attack? They attack the doctrine of salvation. Uh, John, First John, chapter two, verse twenty-five. Uh, notice what John says. What these kind of people attack. He says, "This is the promise which he himself, who's that? Jesus, made to who? To us. What what did Jesus promised you? Eternal life. Eternal life. That's what he promised you. You were once dead in sin. If you come to know him as Savior, he gives you eternal life. But you really have eternal life in two locations, do you not? I mean, there are possibilities. I'm born in sin." And if I do not embrace Christ as Savior, I have eternal life, but it happens to be in Gehenna or hell. But when I embrace Christ, I have life in his presence. So the eternal life he's talking about here is life that's eternal in the very presence of God. Who promised this to you? Jesus. If he does not fulfill this for you, he's a liar, therefore he, ipso facto, is not God. What did he promise you? It's all over the place. If you read him, uh, John chapter 3, verse 14, famous text, "...as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness..." Even so, must, remember that story? If you know, the people looked to the bronze serpent uh, and were bit by a snake, they would be healed and not die. But you had to, in faith, look at the bronze. Could you imagine you've been bitten by a snake? You like snakes? Yeah, imagine getting bit by one, and then you're being told, oh, hey, man, just look to the bronze serpent on the pole, and you'll be totally healed. Are you kidding me? We go to BCC, we are totally analytical. We follow the evidence. That, Huh? The look of faith to a bronze serpent on a pole? What's that going to do? What happened? Anybody that looked was healed. What, is, what does Jesus say? Oh, well, even as the serpent was in the wilderness was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, i.e., the cross. Why? Here comes the clause, the so that clause, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. No, will have eternal life. What's not on there? Well, he didn't say you believe in him and continue to perform effectively and you'll have eternal life. What did he say? No, believe. Uh, we know John... Uh, 316 probably don't even have to look at the text right you know it okay you gonna say it with me okay For god okay wait a minute don't start yet okay okay see where it says the world you see that uh, you're gonna put your name in there all right as a believer we're all gonna do it at the same time so it's gonna sound like chaos but god will hear it ready ready for god so love marty they gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Do you have eternal life? I do. It's, it's the wonder of the cross of Christ. He, he takes a dead sinner and gives them life. And that's why when I, uh, you know, do a funeral of a, of a Christian, it's sad to lose them. But where are they? They inherited life and in all that that means. Because Jesus promised that. Uh, moving on. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work, Jesus said, for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So if you want eternal life, who do you get it from? Jesus. How do you get it? By believing in him to be your Savior. Have you done that? I did it back in 1967 when I was nine. Best decision I ever made. Uh, Moving on. There's more evidence. Uh, John chapter uh, 6, verse 40. He says, uh, "For this is the will of uh, my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day." Notice what does He promise you? Eternal life. You get in the picture? Uh, I'm not finished. There's more. Because we do have thick skulls, don't we? Yeah, it takes us a while sometimes to like wrap your mind around it. So this is so important. Uh, wh- here's another text: Truly, truly Jesus, says I say to you, he who believes, notice the cause and effect. Believe in Christ as your Savior, What's the effect? You have eternal life. And Jesus says, oh, and by the way, I am the bread of life. I mean, I can eat bread all day long for lunch today. I think my wife's making tuna because I could smell it when we were getting ready. It has a distinct odor, you know what I'm saying? But I love tuna. It's not gonna keep me alive the rest of the week, You Can imagine? You know, I eat one tuna sandwich today, I gotta eat something again tomorrow. Jesus said, no, if you partake of me by faith, you have eternal life, have you? Have you partaken of Christ by faith? Because at that moment, you pass from death to life. Now, what does the, 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 the false teacher do? He attacks the very essence of, of what you think, your belief system, that my salvation is based on faith. Because what do they want to do? They want you to believe in faith plus works so they can cause you to fear, so they can motivate you. Um, I want to give you a couple of instances. When I was working on... Uh, my doctor in apologetics, taking a class in a cult activity. Uh, and um, so I read all the, all the Mormon books, The uh, Doctrine of Covenants, The Book of Mormon, so I, you know, Journal of Discourses, so I, I read their books. And I'd studied them before, because uh, when I was in high school, uh, the, the bishop of the local Mormon church uh, was the German teacher, and I took four years of German, so I was his aide, uh, my fourth year. So I knew Herr Isaacson very well. Uh, and he, he came to me in high school, Uh, uh, one day when I was in my fourth year German and and told me not to talk to the the Mormon high schoolers in his group anymore because I was disturbing them. Nine, (laughs) That's what I told him. That's not happening. Uh, So I had a a great opportunity to talk to the bishop of the church, my teacher, Uh, and he he, that year told me, uh, if you do not read this uh, East German book uh, in German, uh, I'm going to dock you one grade. And I told him, well, I will not read the East German book, this communistic book. And he said, well, you're going to go from an A to a B. Okay. And he did that to me to kind of discipline me because I wouldn't stop talking to the, the Mormon youth, my friends that I grew up with. So I, I know their works, and I've studied them for much, much of my life. So i give you a couple of illustrations of how they wed faith in God to works. Right, here's a couple of illustrations. Book of Mormon, Mosiah uh, chapter 5, verse 8, says this. And under this head ye ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby you can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that you should take upon the name of Christ all that you have entered into the covenant with God, that you should be obedient to the end of your lives. Notice verse 9. And it it shall come to pass that whoever does this shall be found at the right hand of God, and he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. Again, if you want to see Christ and be called by his name, you must be heavy on the obedience. Follow? Uh, here's Doctrine and Covenants, chapter, uh, section 5, verse 21. Now, now I command you, my servant Joseph, uh, to repent and to walk more uprightly before me. Notice the heavy on the obedience. Uh, and to yield to the persuasions of men no more, and that you be firm in keeping, notice the present tense of the participle, uh, keeping the commandments wherewith I have commanded you and if notice the conditional if you do this behold I grant to you eternal life even if you should be slain notice you're only gonna see God if you if you could keep all the commandments and you do it perpetually then you're gonna make it into glory uh, here's another one doctrine of covenants uh, section 9 verse 13 he says do this thing which I have commanded you and you will prosper be faithful in yield to no temptation stand fast notice that's a perpetual thing Uh, in the work wherewith I have called you, and a hair on your head shall not be lost, and you shall be lifted up the last day. The only way to be lifted up is to stand fast continually. Do you know how it is to stand fast continually? Because I I guarantee you, by the end of this day, if you're a Christian, you're going to sin by the end of the day. Aren't you? Yeah, don't tell me you're sinless. Because, you're going to, because it's a difficult. So by definition of the entire structure, you could not be saved because you could never stand fast to good enough. Those people would never know if they're totally saved had they ever done enough. Now, this is external to the church because we're not, we're not into that kind of doctrine, but that's how they operate. They bring faith. Oh, I believe in God. Uh, it, but it, it's the way that it works. They destroy salvation. And they make you question your salvation so then they can use that as a leverage against you to cause you to be Fearful. Have I done enough? Well, Jesus is the one who's done enough. And my faith in him is enough. Is it for you? See, that's where they attack the Christian. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what Peter says. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, his, by this name, this man stands here before us in good health. You must be saved, he's going to say, by trusting in the name of Christ, in his name only. It's called sola fita, saved by faith, not by works. He says in verse 26 of chapter two, these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Remember the tension? Tension between a studying sound doctrine, studying the word of God, and the tension that people are trying to deceive me in the world in which I live. The word to deceive, planaō in Greek, means to when a sheep gets lost from the fold, it has been deceived, it's been led astray. He says, don't be like a little sheep that kind of, oh, bright object. <laughs> and you're led, led astray by the next new thinking. He says, hold tightly to sound doctrine. So I have to ask you, who's speaking into your life? Are they speaking into your life truth and you're growing and flourishing? Or are they causing you great consternation because they're causing you to question those things that you know are true? And how do you stay the course? He tells you in verse 27, which I, summarize with this how do you stay the course as for you the anointing which you received from him jesus abides present tense in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you like these gnostics these false teachers but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it is he has taught you what should you be doing stay close to him what's the anointing we talked about this what's the anointing every christian has the holy spirit right you have the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit there for? To tell you that's false, that's true. Stay away from that, embrace, embrace that. That takes daily work to, to maintain the truth. When you maintain that truth, you, you're abiding in the Lord uh, and your intimacy with him grows and you have a great relationship with him that, that nothing can touch. Is that the kind of relationship that you have? That's what he wants you to have. May God bless you to that end. Let's pray. God, thank you for just John's insights of how to maintain that intimate walk with you. Protect us from those who would seek to uh, diminish our faith and derail our faith. May we be wise concerning the word in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.